Welcome back to The Gavel and the Gavel. It's me, Harry, and I am joined. Well, no, I'm not. Simon is busy. He's away at the moment preparing for a series of auctions that we've coming up at Lime Bay Auctions uh, down in Devon. And so it's just me to let you know uh, that we've got a little selection of clips from uh, episodes 21 to 25. Uh, we've got Paul Laidlaw, uh, Matt Ball of the um, ATG, Simon's enemy, Chris. That's not the case. Panning for gold. If you haven't heard that episode, seriously, you've really got to tune into that one. And Sophie Champion, a new dealer, young lady, uh, Florence's Treasures, who's going from strength to strength and uh, working really hard. And it was just interesting to know how she'd uh, got inspired. So we've got lots to uh, lots to share. We'll be back in a week's time. Uh, we've got a cracking interview coming up uh, with a chap who's a preeminent uh, dealer in vinyl, LPs, records. I'll have said all those words wrong and I'll get into trouble. So here you go. A few excerpts from previous episodes. Our star lot was um, a Louis Vuitton steamer trunk that made wow. um, good money. It made eight, eight, well, it did make good money, more than we thought. Um, so we put it in at about two thousand, two and a half thousand pound estimate, and it sold for eight thousand pounds. Eight thousand pounds. Was it a was it a steamer trunk? It was a big trunk. Yeah, it was nice, nice thing. Found in a garage. Was it really? Oh my! Did they have any idea? Uh, no, it's in the pile for disposal. <laughs> so they're quite happy. But I have to say that my my star lot of the day uh, was from a client that we have had for about 10, 12 years. And she sold a little Georgian morning ring. And I think that's the one that caught people by surprise. So true, true, true. it was as found, a little bit of damage, and it's got a little coffin on the enamel in gold. Um, and we thought on a good day, a lot of people were saying, you know, we put it in at two to three. We thought it might go for about 500 pounds and it made 1900. So, I mean, everybody was just like, well, how did that happen? But I think that subsequently, because a lot of people have, what I love about this good business, uh, and I know you're the same, it's a lot of people who were either bidding on it or were interested in it or had a working knowledge of jewellery asked if they could have a look at it before it went, you know, after the sale or during the sale, mm. so they could educate themselves if they saw the thing again. I found that quite interesting. And nobody could quite get it, but it was, yeah, it was a lovely thing. So what can you tell us about it, Harry? What so, was, yeah. um, what, what's its, um, you know, what was it for, what sort of age was it? And just describe it for us. So, well, yeah, it was, it was mid-Georgian. Um, so it was, it was a nice thing, mid-1800s or whatever, early 1800s perhaps. Um, and the thing about it is, is that usually, so it's in high carat gold and it's got this black band around it. And usually you'll have maybe a date or the initials of a loved one or whatever. But this one did have picked out in gold was the image of a coffin. And I mean, I'm not, I, it's a bit macabre, but I mean, it gets the point across, doesn't it really? And there were some initials as well. So we can only think that because, and we haven't found one like that, and I'm sure there are others no. about if we looked really, really, really hard, but we haven't found one like that and we couldn't find one like that. So the only thing we can find, think of is that collectors of those sorts of items were like, mm, hang on a minute, this is the one we don't have, I'm guessing. Because it's gold value, you know, it's the nice thing because a lot of, they were concerned that it would sell for its 
scrap value or similar, which is a question we get asked a, a lot about jewellery. And they were talking about the fact that, well, no, actually, it's the thing. It's, you know, it's, it's not just... Intrinsic it's, value, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting. I had a similar situation today where we've taken in for December's sale, this beautiful, it's a nine carat, three gold uh, brooch, and it's the owl and the pussycat, you know, the nursery room. All right, yeah, yeah. And you've got yeah. the owl sitting on the prow of the boat and the pussycat as well. And the cat's got ruby eyes and the owl's got emerald eyes. And they were like, oh, well, it would, you know, if I sold it for the gold value, I got offered this. They got offered ridiculously below the value of gold. I just can't bear these people who prey on people, particularly at the moment. But it's going to sell for, you know, sort of early 200s, something like that, which is twice what it's scrap value is do you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely and it's a really pretty thing and it's just a it, and it's also you know it's a sweet thing is that you know the animal pussycat lots of people identify with that sort of that sort of thing so that and so that came in today but that was a nice thing along with an omega seamaster so yeah oh fantastic but it, it, it is sad when certain traders try to reduce the value of an item into its scrap value in other words you know an easy and cheap way to devalue something is to take it and say well i'm just going to weigh it and it's nine carat value at the moment you know the spot price today is this we'll multiply it. it's re- that's really what it's worth when with a lot of these things as proven buy that fabulous ring no that isn't the case that is not its value its value is in the intrinsic uh, beauty of the piece and the fact that collectors mm. will want and covet that item and want to put it in their collection and then scrap value is entirely irrelevant entirely irrelevant but i think Often scrap value is used to bamboozle people into selling their items far too cheaply. And unfortunately, the only way to really identify the true value of those kind of pieces is to put them to auction. And then we don't decide, it's the market that decides. And the market will tell you whether your Louis Vuitton case is actually worth what we think, a thousand to two thousand pounds, or indeed it's worth eight thousand pounds. And we're very happy for us to be wrong. Susie came with me, my wife, because we were in the car together. We had to go and look at a clearance. Uh, She happened to be with me. I've got the keys from the estate agent. And before I put the key in the door, I ring the doorbell three times. And she said, what are you doing? It's a deceased estate. There's no one there. I said, no, 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 no. I have fallen foul of this only ever once at a house in Colleton where I picked up the keys, and this is years ago, from the estate agent for a deceased estate, opened the door at nine o'clock in the morning, only to be greeted with a lady drying her hair in the front room because she had decided to visit mum's house one last time and not told anybody. So this moment in your career has meant that forevermore you... Ring the doorbell three times. Ring the doorbell three times. To make sure that... And then what, just stand there? Yeah. Never again do I want to hear that lady. Her, the screaming is still in my ears. The screaming, the sound of screaming and hair dryers is still in my ears from that one fateful day. Never again will I enter a deceased estate without ringing the doorbell three times. I just hand out these pieces of wisdom. Do with them what you will. 
Okay. I've got no words, really. I, I was just going to say that, like a lot of auctioneers, I started my career in a state agency when I was very young and um, never knocked on a door. <laughs> just sort of wandered in. Which and one um, day, I, I, it'll I, happen I can, to you. Yeah, yeah. No, I've got I've got a catalogue of embarrassing experiences that I can't tell you about, and therefore I should have learnt. But now that I'm confident that there is nobody in the house for the sad reason that they have demised, I am no longer I'm no longer panicking about it. But yeah, I suppose if it's happened to you once, you'll never go back. I am delighted, overjoyed. I can't. There aren't enough words in my vocabulary to tell you. We have Chris on the podcast. This is the man who in earlier episodes was picked on. I wouldn't say picked on, Harry. I wouldn't really. I mean, let's not make it too strong because he is sat right next to me, right? He is sat right next to you. And I'm trying to rile Chris up so that he gives us the full version of what has actually happened in Branscombe and possibly to save your bacon, Simon, after you slagged off this lovely village in Devon. I may have said, I may have said that they're a little eccentric in Branscombe. I'm pretty no, sure you didn't. What you did call I? us all mad? I don't think there's any may about it. I think you did. I think you definitely did. Chris, tell me all about panning for gold. What was the, what made you do this? I've got to tell you about the whole village, really, and how things start. I mean, you've got to know about Branscombe yeah. before... We can get to the silly things that we not silly things. Some of the some of the things we've got up to. I as Simon said, Branscombe is one of the longest villages in England. It's about a mile and a half long. Uh, we've got a pub at the top called Fountainhead. It's a bit rough around the edges, but it's full of locals and visitors alike. We had a table which really was reserved every Sunday afternoon at five o'clock for locals to come and general talk rubbish um find out who's sleeping with who <laughs> who should be sleeping with who uh, and how how we can perhaps make some money and this is a load of idiots talking so talking rubbish really and it was a bank holiday sunday afternoon five o'clock we all sat there a few pints in and a lad said you know they've found gold in a in a town west of where we are and i go what he said yeah they found gold and this, this town's a bit of a one-horse market town. I said, well, if we, perhaps we should check the gold out in Branscombe. Nowhere near as nice as Branscombe, right? Oh, no, no. So I said, well, look, you know, if they've got gold, we better check, see if we've got gold. And they, a few pints later on, we're going, well, right. all right, well, it's, it's bank holiday Monday tomorrow. Tomorrow, we'll give it a go. We'll pay them for gold. Hang on, are you busy the rest of the week, Chris? Of course. I'm at Simon's here. I'm at Simon's auction trying to make a couple of quid, but I can't. Ah, oh, right, okay. I'm, I'm a retired plumber, retired electrician, retired everything. And and don't don't stop me, I'm on a flow. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. So <laughs> we decide that the stream that runs down the back of my, my house, and there's a footpath and a stream and it runs down the back of my, my workshop, that uh, that would be the place to start. So Monday morning, bright and clear. But the first thing I've got to tell you about gold panning is you do need fairly specialized equipment you need a pan well yeah but not just any pan oh. you need a pan that's got ridges around it that holds the dust when you get down to getting down to the dust is not that you know you've got to sieve it through umpteen different sieves and to make sure you, you're not missing any nuggets till you get to the dust and then you swill that of course this is bank holiday monday morning and we we haven't got this we haven't got the stuff so i decide that whatever we've got the kitchen will do 
So I've got a frying pan, good size frying pan, Teflon coated, no crap. And for a sieve, I've nicked a salad sieve, one of those salad sieves, you know, thing. I've not, I've not had a salad. We need, we need a little shovel as well, but she wouldn't let me use the cake slice, so I had to go and use. I found right, it. probably solid silver. But, but then my mate who turned up. Now he's, he's seriously rich. He turned up with a two-handled wok. Now this thing is. <laughs> The proper job of wok. I mean, how much gold can we get in the wok? <laughs> but he also brought a sieve that you could drop house bricks through. I mean, <laughs> wasn't quite the job we needed. We needed to find sieve it. But anyway, anyway, quite digress. So we thought, well, here we go. So we walk out of my workshop into the stream, sat there, blah, blah, blah. You sat in the stream? No, I'm just on the bank. Oh. You sit on the bank and you get your, get your dust and your gravel and you swish it around and you look and you look. And we're doing this for well, a couple of hours. But this pathway also leads down to the sea. And, of course, people walk their dogs down. And we had, being a bank already, there were people walking past us every, I can't say, bloody minute. And again, and none of them, none of them asked what we were doing. <laughs> and, uh, it's Branscombe. Oh, it's Branscombe, yeah, yeah. And those that did say, what are you doing? We say, panning for gold. Oh, okay. And carried on walking. <laughs> Nobody said, have you found any? Nobody cared. Hang on a minute. Chris, I don't mean to ruin your flow. I don't mean to ruin your flow. I just need to check. So there's two of you. I'm not suggesting you're under 21. One of you's got a wok. The other one's got a frying pan. And you're sat on the side of the river. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, sorry. I don't know why that sounded weird to me. Go on. Why are you questioning that? If we, if we didn't have the right equipment. I don't know why. I don't know why. Yeah, no. I get it. Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, two hours of this, and we, we've got bored with this, plus the, the pubs are open at 12 o'clock, whatever. So we decide, best way out of this is, we'll nip over to Lyme Regis, because they've got a, a fossil shop there, and fossil museum and stuff and the shop. Yeah. We whooshed over there, double parked, I've run in, bought four pieces of fool's gold. I don't know if you've ever seen fool's gold. Seen fool's gold? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's iron pyrite. Iron it's, pyrite, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It looks yeah. like gold. So I thought, well, look, that'll fool them. So... <laughs> Five o'clock, in we've walked in the pub, slapped it on the bar, saying, take the mick out of that then. There we go. <laughs> a couple of lads fell for it. I must admit, they go, ooh, that was quite good. Of course, it was just my luck that being at some visitors' pub, there was a nerd in there who was an amateur geologist who had come down to Lyme to find fossils. And, of course, he walked up and said, of course, you know you've got false gold, you haven't got real gold. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so, but the strange bit about it was he bought it off me. He bought it. He, he bought the false gold off me. Well, I saved him walking. <laughs> he bought the false gold. So I made a pound out of this gold anyway. <laughs> anyway, now this isn't, the end of the, this isn't the end of the story. Because we was let down with the actual tools of the trade, we have now bought the proper stuff. We have now got gold pans that are proper. We've now got sieves that are proper. We've now got little things to get the dust out of the pans now. We've actually moved upstream a bit more. We're going further nearer the mother load now. And when we get up another month or two, when it's nice and warm, we're going panning again, and we'll take the smile off your face. <laughs> and we come in here with the bloody gold. Chris, hang on Pick a minute. the bones out of that one, Harry. That's quite a, lot to, quite a lot to unpack here. Chris, sorry. So you bought fool, fool's gold too because you didn't find real gold, but you've now invested in all the kit, and you're moving yeah. to the... I, I think you described it as the mother load. How, do you know that it's there? Well, we, you don't know anything there till you start looking, do you, really? I am privileged to welcome 
Mr. Paul Laidlaw, to our podcast. Now, everybody we speak to about you wants to talk about you. Are you still the record holder on Antiques Road Trip? Is this right? You are still. I mean, I, I've rewatched the episode the other day because I'm an anorak and I'm obviously getting ready to talk to you. But you bought something at sixty pounds that sold for what was it? Twenty thousand pounds. Which was cheap. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> uh, a similar camera previously sold for 100,000 euros. Oh, my love. Now, when you saw it, you knew that it was, you knew what it was. Or is it all for camera? And I knew exactly. Well, no, no. It, what you see on camera is very real. Um, it, it, it's exactly as it played out. Now, I knew what it was by deduction, and that's back to my interest in science and my academic training. So here's the true story. This this Emporium was the biggest of its kind I will ever go in. It was huge. And that's a night you might think, look at all the opportunities there. You're a bargain hunter. You're a treasure hunter. Look at what you've got to play with. Myself... I, I'm, I'm up against the clock. I might only be in there for a couple of hours. I want to leave such a place having looked at every object, everything. <laughs> uh, so this is a nightmare. Anyway, I walk past this glass cabinet. Uh, the shelves of the cabinet are, you couldn't squeeze a razor blade in. Thick with material. And at the back of one shelf, I see what I think is a camera lens. It's so small, this, you've seen it. Uh, yeah. It looks like something that bolts on the front of a mahogany and brass plate camera. Now, I know that there can be serious money in early lenses. So I reach in, you can have a look in there, grabs, it, grabs this thing, and clearly it is complete in itself. It, it's, it's, not, it's not meant to be mounted or anything. So as I explain, okay, if it's not a lens, then what is it? Oh, my goodness, this is a camera. This is a sub-miniature camera. I've not seen one before. Tim Wanakot once told me, and it's a great rule of thumb, if you've never seen one before, keep looking because it's, it could be a rarity. You know, you've not seen yeah. it before. Only one or whatever. So I'm thinking, right, this is it. Now, no one, only a few select people know this. I'm thinking, this is your moment, Laidlaw. You've done it. Now, I don't know whether this is worth hundreds or thousands, but I know I've never seen one before. And I know what it is. I got it to within a year. I think I said circa 1850, and it was made in 1851. I, I, I called it. I got it right. Yeah, nice. But I couldn't be empirical and say, ah, and the last one that turned up made this price because you're that rare. Um, true story. I've spotted this. I've identified what it is. I now need to buy it. And I know I'm going to buy it. But importantly, this is my moment. I, I've been doing this, waiting on, pulling the rabbit out of the hat, really finding something dazzling. And I'll, on the way from the cabinet to the counter, I'll walk past one of these young, talented TV people that we've been talking about, uh, shout out to Odin. And a whispers in his ear, Odin, watch this and worship me as a bleeping god. You <laughs> 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 hear the lines, watch what I'm about to buy and worship me as a bleeping god. <laughs> you, have you have done it. Um, and there you go. So I'm driving. So I buy this thing. Everything's tickety boo. Uh, I'm I've a very long drive from Margate to Carlisle that 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 night. 
Uh, and on the way up the road, the 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 phone rings over the the the, the car system, and it's the director saying, "Laidlaw." What have you done here? And I said, whoa, 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 what have I done? Have I left something? Have I, have I driven off with the microphone? <laughs> I've just Googled this camera and it's serious. And then, then it, you know what happens. But it was yeah. cheap. It was cheap at 20 grand. Yeah, and, and all that money went to a fantastic cause. I mean, I know it's peculiar, I mean, but it all went to children in need, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it's a quite an emotional thing, really, all round. Oh, geez. I, 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 after the sale... Uh, I mean, I, I was crying. I mean, I, I'm, I, I, mean I, I, I cry at the blink of an eye, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we come out. Um, but, uh, oh, no, fun. There, were no, there were no casualties in this transaction. If I had walked in in my jeans on a Saturday morning and bought that, casualty would be the dealer. They, they missed a trick. Um, yeah. and, and, and I would have been a wee bit better off and I would have squandered that on toys, right? So there you go. But yeah. in this instance, let's be perfectly honest, a lot of good would come of that. And see the dealer, who a lovely guy, by the by the way, lovely guy. Let's be perfectly candid here. He's made his twenty grand on the back of that. Don't think for a minute that every time that's broadcast, the next day they're not turning up in coach loads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, he couldn't pay for that advertising. He's Absolutely. got he's got twenty grand's worth of free advertising yeah. in a heartbeat, hasn't he? Yeah. Everyone, everyone won with that. So what everybody always wants to know is from auctioneers and people who do what we do, they want to know what is our craziest finds? What is the thing that you found in your career? And I always say it's not actually because people always say, oh, you found that and it, you thought it was worth £10 and it's over 100000 and you're on the bid barometer in the newspaper and all that sort of stuff. I always say those aren't the interesting stories. The interesting stories is the things you weren't expecting, you know, the real oddities. And it's trickier for you because you're a collector, so you'll spot things in catalogues all over the world and, and in the country. But what's your have, – have have in the last – since you've opened, re, uh, opened at Temple, what's your sort of best find or is there a find that you look back on with love and affection? There are so many. You, you, you and I are the same ilk, and you, you now know it's a difficult question to answer because yeah, there yeah. are so many answers. But just it's purely off the top of my head. How's about you walk into – a perfectly respectable residence in your locality to look at some inherited items that have been lurking in the backs of drawers for decades. Uh, and on the table, there's a vintage uh, Rolex carton, a cardboard box for a Rolex watch. The wee coronet on the front. Now, this isn't as boring and obvious a tale as you might think because, oh, you know, someone got an expensive Rolex. You know, <laughs> hold the front page, who cares? <laughs> How's about you open up the Rolex but No, you pick up the Rolex box and there's a wee, a wee notes, a wee paper label stuck to the front of the box that says Oliver Cromwell's watch. <laughs> you know, there's, there's an issue here. <laughs> but you open the box and plausibly there is a watch of Oliver Cromwell's in there. There is a Puritan silver fob watch with what transpires to be an almost verifiable provenance. I, I researched this extensively and I got its history back to, I think, about 1800. So, what, 150 years after the event and 220 years ago, you're more than halfway back to the mid-17th century. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I can say I found a watch of Oliver Cromwell's 
in a Rolex case. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, I love that. We are delighted to be uh, joined today by a, I want to say fledgling, but that's not fair, a new dealer in the antiques world. Sophie, what sort of things catch your eye when you're out at the the flea markets or the, the fairs? My love is furniture. I'm like obsessed with chairs. Okay. Chairs. All right. the time. Yeah, chairs. You can never have enough chairs. <laughs> so... Oh, I think you can. Well, I've learned that you can. I think you can, because they're heavy and you've got to lift them, Sophie. (laughs) Yes, yes. And they take up a lot of space. So I'm finding that I need to now sell the chairs that I have. But no, chairs is where I kind of started. Uh, My boyfriend's um, an upholsterer as well. So that kind of Ah. where that kind of vibe comes from as well. So he can help me recover. I mean, I don't because upholstery is expensive. So I try and sell them on in the state that we get them in. I'm sorry, hang on. What, 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 pardon me. He charges you. Yeah, of course he does. What? Hang on. <laughs> yeah. Really? I mean, still discounted prices, but I mean, come on. He's, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> life. Hang on a minute. So your mum and dad are helping you. You've got to pay them. Your boyfriend's yeah. an upholstery. You've got to pay him. I, d- I know. Simon, help me out here, mate. Have a word. Give us some business advice. This isn't working. <laughs> It's not very fair, is there, really? I am shocked and shocked and appalled on your behalf, to be honest, Sophie. It's a, I tell you <laughs> what, though, we are learning the business school of hard knocks the hard way, aren't we, Sophie? That's that's what this boils down to. You get nothing for free. Well, yes, pretty much, yeah. And it's just finding out the best way of going about it. Because, I mean, I've done the upholstery side and nine times out of ten, you get it wrong. People buy it and say, no, I want it in a different colour. So I've yeah. kind of learnt that not to upholster it but I've got that service there if they do need it upholstered type thing so that's where I go with that fantastic so apart from chairs what else are we looking for what's big in the market today particularly I want to know particularly people of your age what's exciting at the moment are you still into I've got to ask you are you still into the whole mid-century gig or has that been and gone am I am I an old crock I think mid-century will always be popular. It's got a certain style um, about it, and especially now it's gone massive, hasn't it? It's gone absolutely through the roof. I think there'll always be an attraction to it because it's just the lines are just beautiful on it, aren't they? There are attractions to it, but it is fading Mm -hmm. now. I think it just went so fashionable that everyone's kind of a bit like, oh, no, don't want it anymore. You see it all the time, don't you? Sophie, don't say that, please, because I've got a ton of it for the next auction. Please, shh. (laughs) Don't worry, I've got an Urkel chair that I need to sell, so I'm not really helping myself here at all. Simon Simon always asks questions about things that he's got a big consignment of, and then we have to edit the podcast when we all go, oh, that's not going to do well. Oh, that's not going to sell. (laughs) But I think now, I think people are just looking for unusual things, you know, just something that's... That you can't get in, I don't know, like Ikea and places. People are going off those, like the massive shops, aren't they? Where it's like bulk buy. Everyone's got the same stuff. People aren't into that anymore. They want individual. And people like to have a story behind something, especially if it is an individual. And be like, oh, where did you get that from? Like, oh, well, I go to this antiques market and, you know, it's this trader I know really well. And they source things from, you know, that they love to have that story behind it. So, yeah, we're just finding anything unusual, like... The other day I sold a lamp that looked like a fish 
you know, just crazy things. But it's original, it's unique, and it's going to stand out in someone's home, right? Yes, yeah. And again, it had a, a story behind it. It was uh, Jersey pottery. So it came out from, it was like after the war, that's when they could have their um, put actual designs and colouring on pottery and things like that. So yeah, I think it's explaining to people that things do have a history and where it comes from. You really do care about the history of it and research in the history and find out yeah. where th- these items have come from. And that's half of the joy, I think, about it, because you can pick up a plate or anything. Again, anything that I like, I pick up. It could be clothes, cameras, plates, chairs, and literally there's no limit to what I would buy or not buy. But yeah, it's also the research. You find something exciting and you get at home, you know, look at the little label on the back and you just try and work out and just try and, I don't know, give it a bit of history to it as well. It's it's fascinating. And and helps you sell it, right? Definitely. If you've got an interest and passion behind it, I think people, A, they like to hear it. And it's interesting. If someone's selling something they like, it's nice mm-hmm. to buy someone from something that they like. If you, know, if you go into a shop and like, oh, yeah, it's all over there. You're like, oh, okay, you know. But it's just, it's nice to have that story behind it, I think. We are joined by Matt Ball, the publishing director of the ATG, the Bible of uh, the UK antiques market. You cover such a wide spectrum of uh, interests mm. and and collectors and you've got the traders um, and and you do break some amazing stories o- uh, over the years that we've been reading it I mean that's part of the enjoyment of reading the magazine is to see some of these cracking stories um, that you managed to to bring to our attention that we wouldn't know about otherwise have, have you got a, a few favorites from along the way there are sometimes things that are catalogued as one thing at an auction for not very much money and sell for a lot more. A couple of, I think the most notable ones have been some paintings. There was one in uh, Norfolk last year, yes. estimated at 50 to 80 pounds, went for 160,000. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as soon as, we, as soon as we see those things happen, then, you know, our job is to explain why. We would never do that, would we, Harry? That would never happen <laughs> no, to us. No, you see, the, you see <laughs> no. Matt Matt calls that section, what do you call that section in yes. your paper? Oh, we have the special bid barometer section as the well. The bid barometer, yes, the yes. bid barometer. We call that the wall of shame. Yeah. <laughs> because if you get on the bottom section of that, yeah. as you've just talked about, um, you love to see your uh, auction house in print. It's all good promotion, but it does mean that you may slightly have got it a little bit wrong. Dropped a bit of a ricket. <laughs> what's, is there, can you, can, what's the biggest one that you've seen? Uh, Matt, do you remember? Is there is there like the ultimate wall of shame at the ATG for the for the biggest overestimate? Yeah, well, the, the one I just mentioned was 2,000 times Top estimate, which uh, was the biggest one last year, actually, <laughs> which was pretty good. Previous year, we had one estimate, 400 to 600, went for 100,000, wow. um, yeah. catalogued as a 19th century, was it 18th or 19th century, but actually uh, was by Mary Beale, a 17th century artist, and it was a, a portrait of her son. And when, when we see things like that, we say, well, who do we think might have bid on it? So we phone someone like Philip Mould and say, did you see that? And he said, yes, I actually underbid on that one. It's a fantastic thing, et cetera, et cetera. So we know it's good mm. and uh, gives us a lot of scope for reporting. We're not there to kind of humiliate someone who mis- 
catalogue something. That's no, not, no, we don't that's think not you're, our job. We don't think you're humiliating us, Matt. We just like the fact that it's a bit of fun and um, auctioneers poke fun at each other behind the scenes. Yeah, and that's that's oh. all good. We know people turn to the, turn to the sidebar of shame straight away every week. And that's, uh, <laughs> I, uh, do you know that's, what, Matt? That's was, very good. I was literally just about to say to you, you do know that as wonderful as your magazine, and you obviously do know this, that we literally tear open the, the wrapping and flick four pages <laughs> in and go, who's on it this week? Yeah. <laughs> you just yeah. cannot yeah, help yeah. yourself. You cannot help yourself. But that is absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah, that's uh, you know, or some uh, vintage bottles ca- catalogued at ten to twenty pounds in an online time sale this week, going oh. for what was it, fifteen hundred and twenty? You know, well done, Matt. Yeah. Well done. Yes, someone's Matt, done their thanks. research. Uh, just, just so, just so our dear listener knows that Matt's <laughs> far too prepared for this interview because that was my auction house at Windsor that did that. Thank you for that. Yes, great. Looking forward to my appearance. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say it, it was one of the ones under consideration. For, <laughs> I'm it's a, I don't issue, issue coming in. out, but. <laughs> but what what we have to do with those is actually ascertain what we think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we reckon we have an idea, but we haven't really had time to follow it up. So you no, may no, no. you may get away with it, but oh, um, there God may there may be a shaft and globe uh, late seventeenth century bottle in that collection. So uh, could there be may good. well be, yeah, uh... <laughs> as we now all know. <laughs> yeah? One one sealed bottle as well, I think, but we couldn't see what the seal was, so we didn't. We couldn't really no, say too that, much about that it. Seal one, that seal one—that I'll draw you on to this because you've—you there was a story that you um, you broke, and that bottle collection, and I can't tell you the production, uh, but comes from a TV production. So a set buyer had bought that a year yeah, yeah. or two ago, and it's been stuck in the back. I mean, I'm amazed it's still alive as it's produ- mm. as it's appeared in several uh, productions. But yeah, tell us about. There's a story you have about the series The Crown. Some uh, items, uh, kind of props from the crown were stolen last year and uh, someone from the set uh, knew our publication and contacted us and we uh, uh, we wrote about that one. Um, and the next day, the uh, a similar story appeared on the front page of the uh, first edition of The Sun for that day. <laughs> um, now, if that was because they could get a large picture of someone looking like Lady Diana on the front, we'll never know. But that story reached far and wide. Um, and I think part of that is the objects are not true Fabergé items, for example. They're you know made to look like them or so on. And it's important no one ends up taking them on thinking they're something other than they are. Mm. Often when we cover stories about items uh, stolen, we uh, find they actually make their way back, um, oh. which is um, uh, a real pleasure. I mean, firstly, I would say we will never run a story about an item s- stolen until we verified it by getting a crime reference number and all of that stuff so that yeah. we know what's what's coming to us is a, a proper story and so on. As one a few years ago, uh, a family had uh, an MBE in service medals of a, a lady who was a nurse in their family uh, from late uh, 19th and early 20th century. And they'd just literally given them to the great, great niece of this nurse. And the following day, she, whatever reason, had them in the car, perhaps taking them somewhere left them on the seat, went away, came back. Someone had broken into the car and they'd gone. So she contacted the police and contacted us and we wrote a story about it. Nothing seemed to happen. But 10 months later, another lady was walking in a park near where the theft took place, spotted something under a tree. I thought, what's that? Went over, looked at it and there was a box that said MBE on it. And she thought, hmm, don't know what to do with this. 
um, searched for MBE and Dulwich online and immediately came to our story, uh, contacted us and we put her in contact with the uh, family and um, a meeting was arranged and the medals were returned, which was uh, rather lovely, I think. Oh, fantastic that is a fantastic story. Absolutely superb. And then there's, a, there's another one I might mention. Is that one got a bit personal for me in some ways i think we one week uh, we were contacted and someone took out a two-page advert at the front of the newspaper quite a pricey thing to do Mm. detailing a very large collection of rare danish silver and it had all been stolen and they were offering a reward of three hundred and fifty thousand pounds for information leading to the return for various reasons i ended up speaking with the owner Obviously, they were absolutely distraught. Their home had been broken into and so on. It's the thing about art art crime. People think it's like a victimless crime and it's all very glamorous, stealing paintings and so on. But, you know, people's peace of mind is shattered by this sort of thing. Mm. And it kind of made an impression on me at the time. And I thought, well, it's great you've run the advert. People will see that. But actually, we're going to write a story about it as well so more people can find it. The idea is that um, if everyone in the trade is alerted to the fact that these items are out there, than anyone kind of rocking up to your dealership or auction house with a swag bag full of rare Danish silver, mm. you will know, hmm, shouldn't be taking that in, but I'll just make a call to the police while I'm in the back room and uh, sort it out. Um, three months later, I got notified that all the stuff had been returned and that um, the thieves' problem was they couldn't offload it anywhere in Europe because everyone had uh, seen this ad and the news story in the ATG. That's um, fantastic. How how it was returned, I'm also aware of, but I can't divulge <laughs> exactly how it made it back. Um, but uh, that was a kind of heartwarming kind of end to that tale, really. And that's because the ATG made it too hot to handle. And that, you know, that must give yeah. you a, pardon the expression, a warm, fuzzy feeling that I know it's your job, but you're actually doing good at the same time. Perhaps a... Another story with a, a knowledgeable reader was uh, one from the other year where an American auction house from uh, the New York area ran an advert for an estate sale and it had 18 different lots listed. So all quite small pictures of vases and one of those lovely Eames chairs and uh, paintings and so on. And one was just this little green dinosaur and it just had the word nephrite under it and that was it. Uh, in the catalogue itself, it was estimated at eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars. Uh, but that week, good old Jeffrey Munn—you'll know him as the jewellery expert on Antiques Roadshow—picked up his copy of ATG on a Tuesday, as he always does. Flicked through, saw the dinosaur, and realised that is the missing uh, Fabergé dinosaur. There are three known: uh, Triceratops and a pterodactyl, and uh, this one, the kind of T-Rex. And uh, he'd actually written a book about the history of Wartsky, the jewellery jewelry firm where he'd worked for uh, almost 50 years. And um, he'd included a photo of that dinosaur in the book. So he knew exactly what it was, uh, phoned us, uh, told us, this is the missing dinosaur. And I phoned the auction house to let them know. And obviously, the auction house was rather grateful because they recatalogued it. And instead of it going for about $1,000, as the original estimate was, they got uh, 65000 for it. So, <laughs> Can you imagine opening that magazine on your t- with your Tuesday cup of tea and going, I've been oh, well, looking no. for that for 35 <laughs> years? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you have it. Uh, that was a, a quick catch up. Uh, because uh, Simon and I are are busy at the moment, unfortunately, or fortunately for you. So that was uh, Paul Laidlaw talking about uh, Antiques Road Trip, that record he achieved for a camera, The Wall of Shame, a regular appearance 
or mention at least on the pod because Simon and I are either trying to get on it or trying to avoid getting on it. And yeah, panning for gold. Come on, come on, seriously. Please do like, subscribe, tell your friends uh, about the pod. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Uh, we have a lot of fun, Simon and I, uh, doing the podcast. And we are working hard to uh, secure interviews. We've got a few in the bag uh, coming out later in the year. People who are promoting various endeavours in the antiques world. Um, but we're, uh, we're looking for more. So let us know who you'd like us to uh, interview. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.